uh, one of the coolest things about Christianity is that the bar for entry is so low. It's, it's so low. You, you could trip over it and you're in. Um, all you have to do is put your faith. You got to put your trust in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection for the payment of your sins. And when you die, you get eternity in heaven. And it is the greatest story ever told. And it is a beautiful thing. And it's the easiest thing. The thing that is challenging, though, that they don't quite tell you on the front end is that once you get in, once you've crossed that bar, um, there's a lot of rules. Are you with me? Have you read the Bible? Jesus taught a lot of things. The apostle Paul taught a lot of things. The disciples taught a lot of things. There's a lot of rules that are in there. And it's really challenging when you at your nature are not um, what I would call a rule follower. Anybody? (laughs) Like when the sign says no trespassing, you're like, yeah, watch this. And you just want to go to the other side just because. Some of you even take the picture and post it on social media just to prove how rebellious you are, you know? And it's funny because in the scripture you have these commands and these things that you're supposed to do. And then you get into a church context and a community. And there's these um, unwritten rules that people just, they seem to already know. And those can be really, really challenging as well. Especially if you don't know what they are. And if you're kind of bent towards, eh not really following the rules a little bit. So let, let me give you an example. Um, growing up, I, I, I put my faith in Jesus Christ in the sixth grade. And so I was working it out as a junior higher. And I got into high school. And one of the things that was happening, at least in our school, was that there was a group of Christian kids. Um, interestingly enough, I was on the outside of that group for some reason. I, I have to talk with a therapist and figure out what that actually means. But I wasn't allowed in the group of Christian kids. But basically what was happening there is they decided that what we're going to do is we're going to burn all of our CDs. Now, not burn as in make copies, but like destroy, trash, get rid of, discard. No longer have any CD that is not a Christian CD that isn't worship music. And so they know that I'm a Christian. So they said, Steve, you know, why don't you join us? We're going to have a a burning party. And so I was faced with a challenging rule, like a teaching, a, a command from the church community. And I happened to be one and in the church community. And I just went, oh, no, I, I like these CDs. I spent good money on these CDs. You know, like, what am I supposed to do here? And so I did what probably most of us would do when you get faced with something like this and you're not quite sure what to do. You start opening up the scriptures and you're like, OK, chapter and verse, where does it say to destroy all my secular music? And I couldn't find it. The only thing I could find that was close was don't let the enemy get a foothold in your life. And I thought, well, that's, you know, I mean, it's the Beatles. It's not like we're worshiping Satan or anything. You know what I mean? So that's a bit of an exaggeration here, but maybe that applies. But have you ever been trying to find something in the scriptures and you're flipping through something and you're like, whoa, that's a powerful teaching. I don't know if I can do that. I'm trying to find a verse that says burn all your CDs and destroy all your stuff. And I came across the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you're not familiar with this, uh, you need to read it. Matthew 5 through 7, those, those chapters. The teachings, um, the bar is so high. Jesus says, look, if your eye causes you to sin, well, really, if any body part causes you to sin, you need to just cut it off. Get rid of it. Throw it away. And he says, you know, you may not have committed adultery. And I'm like, well, I'm in high school. I haven't had that opportunity yet, so I haven't done that. And he said, well, okay, that's one thing. But if you've had lustful thoughts, it's as if you have committed adultery with someone in your heart. And I went, <gasps> I'm in high school. (laughs) Puberty and hormones are alive and well. You know what I mean? Uh, Other ones. Well, it's, you know, don't murder, right? You've heard it said don't murder. And I go, well, okay, I haven't done that, right? And then Jesus says, well, if you've ever had an angry thought towards somebody. And I went, oh, no, my mom and dad. 
right? So I had that. And then other things, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to dream up these grandiose promises. And, you know, I, I promise and regardless of what happens, I'm going to follow through. He said, no, 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 no. Just simply be the type of person where you say yes to something, you follow through on it. And if you say no to something, you don't do it. And I thought, oh man, I, who can do these things? It's really, really challenging. And so on the one hand, you've got the gospel message of like, man, you just have to put your faith in Jesus and boom, you're in. And then once you're in, the bar is super high of how you're supposed to live. And I don't know about you, but I had had years of sinning under my belt. I had developed some habits and then I put my faith in Jesus and all of a sudden like no more sin. That's challenging. That's really, really difficult. And some people on the inside that have been walking with Jesus longer than I have kind of look at you and they go, huh. And they've never said this, but my insecurity said, they're judging me. They're going, well, you know, how sincere is your faith in Jesus if you're still doing fill in the blank? And I thought, I'm in high school. Like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? This is so challenging. Because really what I had learned, and I don't know that anyone taught me this, I just sort of picked it up, is that the gospel is good news for when you die. Now I'm in high school. The average age when I was in high school of life expectancy was 80 some odd. Where's the good news for those years? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so, look, I, greatest story ever told. I am so thankful for heaven when I die. I, I, I want to see everybody there. I, I just, yes. Yes and amen. A hundred percent. Um, Jesus, can you help me out here on earth? You know what I mean? Like, it's challenging. It's very, very difficult. And what I have come to discover over years of studying the scriptures and having conversations with people and just learning is that um, the gospel message, heaven when you die, is one side of the coin. There's another side of the gospel message. And we're going to look at it today. And it is found in the Sermon on the Mount, and it is the front end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the one that I tend to skip because it's a little bit confusing to me. And so if you've ever been a Christian and you've ever struggled living a righteous life here on earth, being obedient to the commands of God, um, and you got yourself in this cycle where you promise God you're never going to do it again, and then you do it again, and then you ask for forgiveness, and and he does because he's God, and you promise you're never going to do it again, and then you do, and then you ask for forgiveness, and he does, and then you make a promise. You, You with me? If you've ever found yourself in this situation going, what, there's got to be a better way, I I simply want to say, stay tuned. There is a better way, and Jesus is going to show us. So we're going to talk about the first section of the Sermon on the Mount, but before we do, we're going to go a chapter early because I need to give you a little bit of context to kind of set the scene. Because if we don't set the scene, oh man, good luck. So go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. If you've got a Bible, you can pull it up on your phone. Old school pen and paper works too. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Um, and here's kind of the context, right? Jesus has just baptized John the Baptist. He went into the wilderness and was tempted, but he didn't cave in, right? He didn't give in to that. He's been proclaiming the good news about the availability of the kingdom of God. Or as you read in Matthew's gospel, it's the kingdom of heaven. He calls a few of his disciples to come follow him. And again, he's preaching about the kingdom of God. And he begins healing people. Now, this is fascinating. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Here we go. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. There it is again. Underline good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, we have to ask ourselves a quick question before we go on. What in the world is the kingdom? Now, stick with me for a second. I'm I'm about to do some biblical nerding out. Okay, so I know we lost an hour of sleep, but but hang in there with me. I'll try to make this um, 
<laughs> as enriching as I can. Uh, okay, so in the book of Matthew, he refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. In the other gospels, it's referred to as the kingdom of God. It is the same thing. It is the same thing. But uh, if you remember the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus is, is teaching and instructing on how to pray, he says, um, thy, uh, oh, oh, I'm blanking on it. What does he say? Thank you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's saying is God, when he, Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he's saying what happens in heaven, we want that to happen here on earth. And Jesus is proclaiming, he's saying the good news The good news is that what is happening in heaven is happening here on earth. It can happen here on earth. You can, you can get into the kingdom of heaven without dying. You can have that here. Not heaven, the destination where you go when you die, but the rule of God. This is, this is very good news. This is very good news. Um, so I want to give you a definition of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's simply this. It's a realm, spiritual or physical, where what God wants to happen, happens kingdom of God is anywhere that what God wants to happen is happening. So you got to ask yourself the question, well, what does God want to happen? Jesus summarized it beautifully. He said, unconditional love of people and of neighbor or unconditional love of God and of neighbor. What does unconditional love of God mean? Worship, devotion, obedience. When you, when you screw up admitting it and coming back. Unconditional love of humans probably starts with just accepting them and loving them, not gossiping about them, uh, serving them, praying for them, um, being generous with time, with resources, right? Like these, these are the things that, that God wants to happen. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here on earth when those things are happening. It's a lot closer than we think. And it is really cool. So what's the good news about the kingdom? Here's what Jesus is proclaiming. He says the kingdom of God is available to everyone through Jesus. Everyone. Anyone. Every single human being. Yes, even you. It is available. So verse 24. News about him spread all over Syria. And the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering with severe pain. The demon possessed. Those having seizures. And the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. I want you to see this. Jesus is given the Sermon on the Mount. You have the Decapolis here, the other side of the Jordan, Jerusalem down here. You have a crowd, a large crowd following Jesus. Why? Because he's healing people and he's saying the kingdom of heaven is available to you. And these large crowds, you have to know who these people are. They are the outcasts. They are uh, the marginalized. These are the school dropouts. These are the unspiritual. Because if they were, then they would still be in school. They, They haven't memorized the Torah. They're not learning anything. They're probably out fishing, trying to provide for their family and not doing a great job at it. These are the nobodies in society. These are the people that you raise your sons and daughters not to be. And these are the people that are following Jesus. And he says, the kingdom of God is available to you. That's incredible. And so they've got to be asking themselves this question. Well, okay, I hear what you're saying about the good news, but am I eligible for the kingdom? It's one thing for, uh, you know, you can enter it. 
um, how? Am I eligible? Do I meet the requirements? Because they only know the religious and the righteous people. Those are the, those are the Pharisees. The, right? They don't cuss. Uh, they've memorized the scriptures. Um, they, they think holy thoughts. And come on, I mean, I know what I thought. I know what I thought when Jesus proclaimed the good news. I was like, what kind of a... You know? Like these people know who they are. They know what they've done. All their life they've been told that they're unrighteous. They're not spirit-filled. They are the opposite of what God wants. They're sick. They're demon-possessed. I mean, this is because God is mad at them. He's punishing them, right? This is the common thought of the day. And for Jesus to come and go, no, we're going to turn this kingdom upside down is revolutionary. It's a big deal. And so they're asking, okay, am I eligible for the kingdom? Uh, You say I am, but this is kind of weird. Am I righteous enough to get in? And the answer is no. But we're going to find out in a moment, you don't get in the kingdom of, of God because of righteousness. You get into it through Jesus. And see, the Pharisees are going to proclaim it's your righteousness that earns you favor with God. And we're about to stumble onto a passage that says the exact opposite of that. So for those of you who have gone to church your entire life and you're not a good Christian, those of you who show up to church week after week and you doubt, those of you who show up to church and you don't know Jesus, those of you who will never show up to church and you're not interested in Jesus, those of you who are the outcast from your home, from your society, from your community at large, Jesus has really good news to share with you. So we turn with all that as the backdrop. We turn and here we go. Verse 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. When you hear disciple, think student. Don't think like the 12. He hadn't called all 12 yet. Think, think a student of Jesus. Jesus is the master teacher. Disciples are the apprentice. They're the student. Here's what Jesus declares. He says this, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And they all went, What? Because never has being, been, uh, being poor in spirit been a blessing. That's a tragedy. That's, that's unfortunate. That's, oh, sorry. That's what that is. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, no. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you say, no, it's the righteousness. We've heard this all, all our lives. It's the righteous people that have access to God, not the sinners. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. The spiritually poor. It's as if to say uh, the spiritually bankrupt, the ones if called upon to pray would have no idea where to start. They've never done it before and they couldn't do it if their life depended on it. He says, ah, the kingdom of heaven is for you. You have access to this. Blessed. Uh, it's a term that we could translate into say fortunate. If you have a Bible in up above, it says the B attitudes. Um, I want you to know that this is not an attitude that Jesus is ascribing. Well, you're right. Yes, it is, because it says, be attitude. Put them together. Be of this attitude, right? Be attitude is a supreme blessing. It's not a characteristic or a mindset to have. Jesus is proclaiming availability. He's inviting people in, and he's inviting all the wrong people in. And I love this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So number one in your notes, this is important. The kingdom of God is available to everyone, not just the religious elite. Every single human being. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
And immediately they would go, no, you're not blessed if you're mourning. That, be, that means something tragic has happened in your life. God is mad at you. He's punishing you. And Jesus says, no, once again, we're going to turn this kingdom upside down. Blessed are you who mourn. Not because mourning is a blessing. It's tragic. Jesus wants you to have joy. But he also knows that bad things are going to happen. 2010 or 2020, anybody, right? Bad things are going to happen. We're going to mourn. But he says, you're blessed because you'll be comforted. The kingdom of God is available to you. You can enter it and God will comfort you. God, creator of heaven and earth, will comfort you. Sinner, outcast, lonely, unrighteous, spiritually bankrupt. You. He's going to comfort you. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You've heard the phrase, meekness isn't weakness. It was in the first century. It's the type of person that would walk down the sidewalk, and if they saw someone else coming, they'd immediately jump off the sidewalk and into the street and apologize for being in the other person's way. It was a sign of of weakness. It wasn't a characteristic that was, was, you weren't proud to be be meek. You You were worthless. You were weak. And he says, no, 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 blessed are those people. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's like, it's like they have nothing. Because they're always, oh, I'm so sorry. And they get out of the way, and they're just, you know, they're, they're constantly a pushover. And Jesus says, earth, you're going to inherit it. It's yours. Stand tall. You have something. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you haven't been able to get it. That's why you're hungering and thirsting for it. You couldn't do something righteous if your life depended on it, but you're blessed. And you have to understand that the people back in this day in the first century, they're sitting here saying, no, I am not. Look at my life. I'm sick. My dad was sick. His dad was sick. It is the family curse. It's because of sin in our life. I can't hold a job together. I can't provide for my family. Righteousness? What? I have to steal food. This is think, first century. These are nobodies. These are outcasts. Do you know why they were able to leave their towns and walk with Jesus? It's because they had nothing to leave behind. These are nobodies. Blessed is the human being who hungers and thirsts for righteousness because they can't do it. They're going to be filled. I mean, just let, let that sink in. And once again, Jesus is taking the world his upside-down kingdom, and he's flipping it. And you and I and the large crowd are discovering that his upside-down kingdom was actually right-side-up the whole time. It is humanity that has missed it. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Not in this, not in the first century. You didn't want to be merciful. No way. You wanted justice. The, the Jews, they were so excited when the Messiah was going to come and, and bring in the kingdom of God because it, they, in their mind, it was going to be a military force. You want to talk about upside down kingdom. You got the Romans ruling the Jews. Whoop, we're going to flip that baby. Let's go. Bring it on Jesus. Mercy. What? Jesus says, no, blessed are the merciful for they're going to be shown mercy. This verse eight is a very interesting one. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Uh, which is really interesting. So blessed are the pure in heart, but, but who really is? You know what I mean? And I always thought like this is a characteristic that you have to embody. You, you have to have 
And it was interesting. I was reading a scholar and he said, no, it's not so much that your, your soul or your heart is, is pure. It's that your standard, your mode of operation is pure. It's a hundred percent. And what, what, so think for a moment, what does that do when, when you see everything that it should be at the standard of a hundred percent and you see everything else that's not, you, you kind of become a per- perfectionist. And, and what does that do to your, your boss, your employees, your spouse, your kids, the city you live in? If, if your standard is purity, well, what, what is? Everything else is impure. And he said, blessed are you, the, the perfectionist, the one who demands all of these things. For you will see God. Listen, you will see something pure, 100%. No error, no sin, no shortcoming. Blessed are you who desire the perfect, the pure, because you will see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. What a beautiful title. Uh, You must be a child of God. Well, what do you mean? I'm just trying to bring in peace. But understand again, in the first century, there was no peace. They wanted that military might. That's part of the reason they were so excited. We're no longer going to be occupied by Rome. We're going to be free. The peacemakers, in this this context, there was no such thing as a win-win situation. Compromise, what? No, 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 no. That always felt like a lose-lose. Blessed are the peacemakers. I don't know. And listen, he keeps going. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And they're thinking the whole time, it's the Pharisees that are righteous because they wake up early. They've memorized the things. They don't do all the don'ts, and they do do all the do's. They're the righteous one. And Jesus is saying this. Look, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you start following me, the righteous are going to look at you and they're going to call you out. You're going to get persecuted because they know what you've done. They knew that you were sick or demon possessed, right? And that obviously means there's sin in your life. They're calling them hypocrites. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. It's going to happen. And then verse 12, this is beautiful. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These, these people in the crowd, the large crowd, the prophets, man, those are the action figures they played with growing up. They wanted to be like the prophets. And clearly they weren't. Again, marginalized, outcasts from society. They were the unrighteous. And Jesus is saying, you, people in the crowd, the unrighteous, the ones who don't know how to pray. You've never fasted a day in your life. You've never gone without all these spiritual disciplines. You can't do them. He said, you, you're right up there with the prophets. It is beautiful. So number two in your notes, kingdom living includes learning from Jesus. How to live your life if he were living it. It's a little complicated. I'll say it again. Kingdom living, being in the kingdom of God, includes learning from Jesus how to live your life if he were living it. Again, he's talking about righteous. Those who are unrighteous, you get in the kingdom of God, you start walking with Jesus. He's going to train you. You will become righteous. You will start making righteous choices. This is more, this is deeper than what would Jesus do? Because you don't really know. We're asking the question, 
what would Jesus do if he lived your life? If he had your kids, your job, your grandkids, your spouse, how, how would he act in that? What would he do in those situations? This, see, this is so personal. And this is great news because Jesus will show us how. He's going to train us. Remember back in that cycle I was talking about? God, I promise I'll never. And then you end up doing it and then you forgive. This is the way out. You enter into the kingdom of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus will train you. He will teach you how. It's not that you try really, really hard not to sin. No, he'll train you out of that. Let me explain. We'll give you an example. Let's talk about lust for a quick moment. It got real quiet. No one was like, I don't want to talk about that. Not in church. So you talk about lust. It's like, okay, don't lust, don't lust, don't lust. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. You know, don't uh, pop-ups on the internet. Don't no, 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 block it out, block it out. No, 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 no. You're trying hard not to lust. Jesus will train you and I how to become the type of people that don't desire that. It's, it's not an option. You don't fight against it. There is no fight to be had. Friend, this is good news. Pick your vice. I don't care what it is. And some of you are like, no, 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 I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. Listen, you can't do it with your own willpower. You need the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You get that too. So now you're, you're operating under your own strength, which is good. You're now accompanied with the Holy Spirit, which is way better. And Jesus has trained you how to not desire those things, but to desire righteousness, to desire, we just read it, purity of heart. Where those things are not an issue. It's not, I'm not angry all the time. I'm not vengeful. I'm not, I don't have my grumpy pants on even when I've lost an hour of sleep. This is really good news because a lot of us are stuck in this cycle of like, well, I'm just going to try really hard not to sin. How's that working? It's not. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God, it is available to you. The Christian who promises never to sin, but sins again. It's available to you. And it, the good news is even better because here on this earth, Jesus will train us how to be the type of people that aren't even enticed by this. Listen, Jesus overcame the temptation. He wants to show you and I how. It can be done. And I say this stuff and I know the pushback because I felt that the first time someone was teaching me about this, thought, I thought, no, that's too good to be true. And they're like, hello, that's why we call that good news. This is really good news. It's not just heaven when you die. Which is a miracle and a blessing and beautiful, but it's better than that. It's good news for today. That's amazing, amazing stuff. The spiritually bankrupt person who can't make themselves do anything righteous or God honoring, Jesus will show them how. It's incredible. And then, and then he pivots. And I think this is so fascinating. So verse 13, here's what he says. He says, you, again, the outcast, the sinner, the horrible human being, the Christian who goes to church and doesn't believe a word of it, the one who promises to do better and can't and won't. He says, you, you are the salt of the earth. Not the Pharisees who look super good on the outside, who have it all together, who memorize chapter and verse, who fast once a week, who have destroyed all their secular CDs and only listen to worship. You, the really bad Christian, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out 
and trampled underfoot. Look, salt makes people thirsty. And Jesus is saying, look, you unrighteous people, the kingdom of God is available to you. And we're going to transform your life. And the way you lived your transformed life is going to make people thirsty for what you have. And if the way you live your life doesn't make people thirsty, well, what's the point? Just go back. You don't even need to be in the kingdom of God. He goes on. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Light simply points the direction, doesn't it? Let's go this way. So listen, you live, you enter the kingdom of God. You live your transformed life as Jesus is training you for righteousness. You're going to live your life and people are going to be thirsty for what you have. And they're going to ask. And then you simply point a light and you say, well, I have Jesus. I have access to the kingdom. How do I get in the kingdom? Well, through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what, what does that even look like? It's simply, you just trust him. It's you do what God wants you to do. He wants you to worship Jesus. Boom. You're in the kingdom of God. He wants you to unconditionally love your neighbor. Boom. You're in the kingdom of God. Can you see why the Pharisees who have built a whole life upon works righteousness are frustrated by this? And he wraps it up. Verse 16. He says in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Number three in your notes, other people will enter the kingdom of God because of your transformed life. Through your, your words, your deeds, your thoughts, through your life, other people will come to know Jesus. That's what he proclaims. And I love this because it's an invitation to everybody. He simply says, look, you're a sinner. You know you're a sinner. I don't have to convince you of that. But you are blessed because you have access to the kingdom of heaven. And you can enter it. And in there, I will train you how to be the type of person that pursues righteousness. To the point where other people outside the kingdom are going to look at your life and they're going to desire the transformation that you have. And you get the point and the joy to simply point them towards Jesus. Incredible. Incredible. So here's how I want to wrap this up. Uh, it's, it's an exercise I, I did this past week, and I found it really, uh, really fruitful. And I, I want to encourage us to do it. And so I'm going to invite the band to come on up, and they're going to play some music lightly behind us as, as we kind of reflect and, and do this exercise. Um, I just don't want there to be awkward silence, right? So here, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to simply ask that you write your own version of the Beatitudes, the Blesseds. And if you don't know where to start, I always want to encourage you, when was the time that you were hopeless? Start there. Blessed are the hopeless. Blessed is Steve when he was in this situation. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, start where you were helpless and where you were hopeless. Blessed are the, blessed are the unemployed because they will put their faith in God and God will prove faithful and provide richly and abundantly for them. Blessed are the stressed out because they will learn that God is in control. Blessed is the Christian who goes to church and doesn't believe a word of it because God will draw near to you and prove himself once again. 
Blessed are the marriages, the husbands and wives, the spouses that are in eternal conflict because they will learn peace. Blessed is the school dropout. For they will learn once again that character is more important than knowledge. And along the journey, Jesus will teach you what you're lacking. Blessed is the person who goes through tragedy time and time again because they will be comforted by God. Blessed is the person where there's chaos all around them. They enter in and they become the peacemaker for they will be called children of God. Blessed is the insecure father who has an anger issue and doesn't know what to do with his kids because you will learn. Blessed is the woman who feels like an outcast from church because she's never felt worthy. And she will learn once again that she is a daughter of God most high. I don't know what your situation was or currently is, but can I tell you this morning, you are blessed because you have access to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus loves you so much that he will train you and teach you and equip you, whatever that circumstance is, to overcome that. This is how good the gospel is. Second thing is this. What's one thing Jesus has instructed me to do that I'm not currently doing? Maybe you need to start there. That's the ticket to your transformation. It's that thing you know you should be doing, but you aren't doing. For me, it usually starts with saying, I'm sorry, or asking for forgiveness. Because I tend, I tend to take my time in that. And the third one is this. It's, it's salt and light, right? Who are you intentionally being salt and light towards? And maybe take a couple minutes and pray and ask God, would you, would you create divine appointments Coincidences where we just happen to bump into one another. And would we stand back and be amazed at the lives that are being changed and transformed? Not because of what we did, but simply because of Jesus. So I'm gonna encourage you to take a couple minutes. You can spend all your time on one question. You don't have to go through all three. You can do all three if you want, but come before the Lord and remember that you too, regardless of your situation, you're blessed because you have access to the kingdom of heaven.